welcome to the Bodybuilding Dietitians Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for what is now episode 112. And as always, you are joined by your hosts, Tiara and Jack. Now, before we get into today's episode, we just want to remind you as always that if you do enjoy these podcasts, please remember to tell your family and friends about them, take a screenshot, post it to your social media stories, tag Jack, tag myself, and tag the Bodybuilding Dietitians. So Jack, getting cracking into this Q&A. Can't believe we've done 112 <laughs> of these now. Wow. It's a lot of questions. It is a lot of questions. Now, this first question, it says, does bro science have a place in bodybuilding? So this is a really awesome question. And I think a lot of people might expect us to say no straight up. No, we are strictly evidence-based and bro science can hit the highway. But I think we have to establish what bro science is first. So obviously there's more than one definition and some of you might see it differently, but we kind of see it as people representing their anecdotal experiences of what has worked for them. So I often use the term N equals one where N like that's the, what they use to represent a number of participants in a study, like N equals five means five participants. N equals one means it's only based on that one person's anecdotal success or evidence. Yeah, and obviously a study has more power if it has more participants. Yeah, so basically, the I guess another way you could define bro science is it's not necessarily backed up by like a randomized controlled trial or clinical evidence. It's basically the biggest dude in the gym. He had success doing something that sounds a little bit wacky, and unfortunately, it's just not backed up by randomized mm. control trials. But Often it sounds logical and makes sense, but that doesn't mean it's, it's true. Exactly, but could it be true? Yeah, that's, that's the thing. That's the thing, right? Like, should we just dismiss it completely because it's not published in some high journal? Mm. So the, the thing with bodybuilding is that compared to other journals or other fields of science in terms of literature, there's almost no bodybuilding mm -hmm. compared to anything else. Like if you look at endurance sports, if you look at psychology, if you look at other areas of medicine, there's an absolute buttload of research articles. Yeah, and it's specific. If they are studying something directly related to endurance sports, the participants in that study, they're gonna be like high-level endurance <laughs> athletes. They're gonna be high-level cyclists or long-distance runners. But man, they just can't do studies, unfortunately, on actual bodybuilders. They do these studies on middle-aged university students who probably don't really give two flips about <laughs> yeah. bodybuilding, but they're the recruits for this study. And then they try to take those results and then apply them to like mm. Mr. Olympia. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much genetic variability as well. So. Basically, what we're trying to say is that it's important to utilize what research we have to inform your opinion, but not necessarily be the sole basis of your opinion. Mm -hmm. And often if something does work for someone, again, it's, it's using that to, okay, what general principles did they apply? So let's say if someone said, okay, I had white, ri white rice really works well for me and it, it, I had some white rice and it really fueled my training well. So the way I would look at that is someone, I would interpret that and say, this person had some carbohydrates prior to their <laughs> training session and they felt more energized as opposed to having six whole eggs. Yes. So that's, that's how I would kind of interpret bro science. If something works for someone, usually there is a reason why. 
and usually it you can break it down and that's kind of where evidence basis comes into play for me with bodybuilding there is a science behind everything so whether that's how carbohydrates are metabolized and stored whether that's how you distribute your protein whether it's from an animal source whether that's how you periodize your training often there's a reason why something works Mm -hmm. yeah that's a really good point you can't just take these things at face value it's not like white rice equals results you kind of have to unpack it and see okay what's truly going on here and then once you actually unpack it like you said hey this person's consuming a buttload of glucose before their exercise what's resistance training exercise it's predominantly anaerobic work Mm. and the main fuel source for that is glucose you can get glucose through rice ta-da rice is going to make you feel good before you go bench exactly and we can apply this to any sort of bro science myth or bro science claim for example low carb dieting that's a fairly bro science term like Mm -hmm. oh i'm going to start my prep 12 weeks out and i'm going to go low carb because that works best apparently and Lo and behold, the reason why low carb works is because you're basically stripping away a a crap load of energy. Yeah. Take out all your carbs. Guess what? You're going to be in an energy deficit Mm -hmm. or take out 90% of your carbs. You just got left with fat and protein. If you're having 500 carbs per day, you strip out 400 of them. That's a 1600 calorie deficit. (laughs) Yeah. Plus the massive acute weight loss from just water and glycogen. Yeah. So... Basically, what we're trying to say is, yes, there, there definitely is merit to bro science because results have to occur somehow, but whether or not it's sustainable or whether it is the most effective method or whether it's just coincidental, that's kind of where you have to dig a little deeper, I think. But I think it's so important to actually give credit to bro science because bro science and these things that people discover anecdotally works time and time and time again, supposedly in the gym, that's what actually inspires these studies in the first place. Mm. Like, why do you think they started doing studies on high carbohydrate days, refeed days, diet breaks? It's because people started to experiment with these things during their dieting phases and during their comp preps. And they're like, man, there's something to this. You know, something's happening here. And then that inspires actual researchers to then try to take it to the next level and try to replicate Mm. it in a study. I think diet breaks is quite a good example of that. Like, does that mean diet breaks were technically bro science before they started to research them a bit more? Mm -hmm. Like, we, we apply a lot of things to our training and nutrition that aren't necessarily 100% backed up by evidence. And that's because there is often more than one route to the same destination Mm -hmm. and so much of it is dependent on personalization and the individual yeah exactly and that's why it's so important to keep your mind open and that's why jack and i actually really like the term evidence informed rather than evidence based like we certainly do have access to a base of evidence and of Mm. course randomized control trials and well done case studies and things like that But rather than saying I'm evidence-based, actually saying I'm evidence-informed. So I am aware, I'm informed of all the evidence, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to completely dismiss everything else that could potentially work too. Yeah, and I think what's maybe even more important than knowing the individual results, so the actual literature, is actually understanding behind the literature Mm -hmm. and the science. And that's, I think where we kind of shine through quite a bit because we have the bachelor's degree, we have the master's degree, 
And obviously you can get the same info as us and the same knowledge as us without doing that, but that's just the route we took with tertiary education. But because we understand how carbohydrate metabolism works, because we understand how particular responses to training work, Mm -hmm. we can then understand more and tailor, basically. Yeah, that's the great thing because we really are critical thinkers and we've been taught those nitty gritties of biochemistry and anatomy and sports nutrition and all of those baseline fundamentals so Mm. that when someone just makes a surface level claim, they're like, insulin's bad. You go back to that third year biochemistry class where the lecture was talking about insulin and how it's obviously an essential hormone for life. And we remember all the things about how it's actually excreted from the pancreas and all these different things. So we can think about it on that finer level. And we're like, wait a second, (laughs) insulin, that's some good stuff, man. You need some of that. You definitely do. That's for sure. Cool. Well, I guess that's our answer. Bro science, it's not all bad. Mm -hmm. I think it's, what what about, what would be your take in terms of where bro science is, is, is bad or where it goes wrong? Because it does definitely get a bad rap and we've certainly given it a bad rap in the past. I think that when people just make outrageous claims that again, this is the only way. So Mm. it's my way or the highway. And people are saying that pretty much you have to train or you have to eat in this very specific way if you do want to achieve results. And again, they're dismissing everything else. And it's almost as if they've put themselves into a corner that Mm. unfortunately isn't surrounded by much evidence. I'm talking about here things like tempo work and Mm. pump work and i i completely agree with you though and i think where bro science goes wrong is if you ask them to explain Mm -hmm. and then either they can't explain or when they do explain the evidence is wrong Mm -hmm. so like for example let's say okay like low low carb diet someone say yeah low carb diets are the best and then when you ask them oh why are low carb diets good they might say oh because carbohydrates increase fat storage Mm -hmm. but we know carbohydrates increase insulin secretion (laughs) uh yeah but every macronutrient leads to some insulin secretion yeah and i think that's where bro science goes wrong is that people lack the foundational knowledge to really explain what's going on yeah so if something sounds a little bit whack just ask the question why and hopefully someone can explain it to you they're Mm. not just like oh well just because, or yeah. because it works for me. <laughs> yeah, and that, that's what I ask, because I, we do get a lot of messages on Instagram, and some people do complain about their current coaches, and often I just tell the person, ask your coach why. Why is he giving you this protocol? Why is he saying not to eat peanut butter, for mm-hmm. goodness sake? Yeah, or cream of wheat. Someone yeah. was asking me for the recipe for my cream of wheat, and they're like, oh, I'm gonna have to eat this after prep because I'm not allowed wheat. And I'm like, I asked the question, why? (laughs) Because my coach said so. Mm. All right. (laughs) Yeah. Some of you need to have that discussion and ask why with your coach. And if they don't allow you to ask why, Mm -hmm. it's time to move on, I think. Yeah, Yeah. I completely agree. Yeah. But there obviously are a heck of a lot of bro science things out there. And guess they all have good intentions. Ultimately, Mm. everyone wants to be Uh, fit and uh, healthy and feel good. Maybe not. I think a lot of bro science is driven by money, to be honest. Really? Yeah, of course. If Hey guys, just a reminder that we post regular informative content on both our Instagram and YouTube channel. So make sure to go over to those platforms and search The Bodybuilding Dietitians. See you there. 
let's say Stan Efferding's like vertical diet. I don't know too much about it, so maybe I shouldn't be talking about it, but I know that there are diets that you don't need to do the vertical diet to get great results. Mm -hmm. And what do you think is the reason why he's marketing it? Do you think it's because he knows it's the best diet on the planet or do you think he's marketing his diet to earn money? Like, Yeah, I guess that's a good point. But mm -hmm. I guess I just mean more in terms of some training protocols and some nutrition protocols. Like people do do these things and they do have great success. But again, then they just say that they owe all their success to this one method when they haven't actually tried other methods. So for example, someone eating a quote unquote bro diet of chicken, rice, broccoli, and almonds. And they have this meal five almonds times. Almonds are a bit out there for a bro. You think so? Oh, well, you need some dietary fat in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've heard of people, and then they claim that they ate so many no, it's almonds. Usually, it's usually a cup of almonds, a whole cup. A whole cup? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. I don't know if that's keeping preppers in an energy deficit. Okay. A cup or five almonds, however many are in there. But let's say that you were eating chicken, rice, broccoli, and almonds, and you were eating that five times a day. And yeah, you got good results because it kept you in an energy deficit. Sure, you were hitting your macronutrient targets because you're consuming enough protein, enough carbohydrates, enough fatty acids, and you're consuming some fiber from the, that broccoli. <laughs> a little bit. But then we would argue that you're actually probably nutrient devoid in quite a few essential nutrients like yeah. calcium, iron, and omega-3. nutrients probably. Unfortunately. Especially if it's white rice. Yeah, but you might have achieved your physicals. You might have gotten really lean. You might have gotten on stage, gotten a first place medal or something like that. and. When something works for someone, they get very attached to that. Mm. They get very emotional about it. And they're like, I just, I feel comfortable following this method and this protocol because I have a track record of it working. Yeah. It worked well for me. And then if they have to do the same thing again, they're going to try to achieve the same result. They might be a bit hesitant to try another method. Mm. But again, that's why you do need to be open-minded. Yeah. Cool. Well, as per usual, I think we've decided that it depends. Yes, it certainly depends. Bro science does have merit, but it's it's not the be all and end all. I think it definitely inspires. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of like the the canvas before the artwork. That's yeah. my off the cuff analogy. Okay. Let's move on to the next question. <laughs> okay, Jack. So this next question says, would you ever go enhanced? Wow, that's a <laughs> clickbaity question. Mm -hmm. So the short answer is no. Uh, at least for my bodybuilding career. I don't see myself ever going enhanced. And there's quite a few reasons as to why. Like one, I've always been someone who is quite concerned, not concerned, but quite conscious of my health, almost to the extent where I will get a little bit anxious sometimes if I think something might be up. And that has happened in the past. I had like a bout of anxiety in like bad, like panic attack anxiety because I thought I had some health stuff going on and the anxiety anxiety just made it worse which made the health thing worse and made the anxiety worse and that lasted like three or four months which was pretty horrible but luckily that was many years ago back in like yeah. early 2017 yeah yeah and uh, so i think if i ever took steroids or anabolics or drugs whatever i think i would be very concerned with the side effects and i would even probably material psychologically materialized side effects that aren't actually happening i would mm. convince myself that they are just like sometimes i have done in the past with injuries which really aren't that serious mm -hmm. so that that's one of the things that put me off the most because i i truly 
I don't really know enough to comment, but from what I've seen of people I trust uh, and who are, I guess, to use the term evidence-based when it comes to drug use, you can do it relatively safely. Mm-hmm. And especially, for example, the uh, again, this, this kind of raises hairs because I, I don't know what I'm talking about in this, but let's say you bring your natural testosterone within to within the upper end of the physiological range. Like, how is that... How is that incredibly dangerous? Yeah, I've actually heard that argument mm. be put forward by Victor Black on the Flex Success podcast. Yeah. And he was actually talking about how perhaps if you are really monitoring things well with an enhanced athlete and you're not doing anything just absolutely outrageous, perhaps when they are in comp prep, they could potentially actually be healthier than a mm. natural bodybuilder in comp prep because we know natural bodybuilders in comp prep, your testosterone just plummets. Yeah. It's definitely not within the physiological range. It's way down low. Yeah. But if you were an enhanced athlete who was just keeping your testosterone up towards that higher end of the physiological range, but obviously you're very lean, could you argue that you're actually in a healthier state compared mm. to the natural bodybuilder? Yeah, and that's where I'll freely admit that I just don't have enough knowledge of, like, does exogenous testosterone lead to some sort of side effects that natural testosterone doesn't? Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Like, so that I can't answer this question 100%, but I can. There are a few other reasons why I wouldn't uh, be using drugs at the moment and, like, Part of that is, as I said, I am concerned about any potential health risks. Two, I want to pursue natural bodybuilding. And I haven't, I don't have a pro card yet. I would love to get a WMBF pro card eventually. Like that's my long-term goal. And if I can't do well in the natural scene, then what's the point of going enhanced? Because Mm -hmm. there's people who already have a head start on me. There's people who respond to drugs freakily. And also there's people who are willing to take grams upon grams upon grams of drugs every week in order to be the best. And there's no way in hell I would be doing that. Yeah, that's something a lot of people don't consider is that usually the best guys at the enhanced level were probably going to be the best guys at the natural level too. Mm, Yeah, and like when you, for example, when you see Lee Priest when he was natural, like when he was 15, 16 years old, he looks bigger than I am now. Mm -hmm. So... Yeah, often often they are incredible when they're natural. What about like even people like Callan Von Moger? Yeah. Right? Like the genetic card, it's it's wild. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and but coming back to health, I think that's something that a lot of people just do not take into consideration. Again, they just see it as one plus one equals two. So hey, I want to get more muscle on me. Maybe I should take some drugs. I could pop a pill or I could jab something into my butt cheek, and then I'm going to grow more muscle. I'm going to be able to lift heavier at the gym and I'll feel really good. They don't think any further beyond that, but there are so many things that you need to take into consideration. If you are going down that enhanced route, like you have to stay on top of your blood work. You should probably be working with multiple doctors. You have to stay on top of your blood work to make sure that everything is in range. And especially things like your kidney function and your liver function and looking at your hematocrit levels. Mm everything like that. You need to be regularly taking your blood pressure because growing a lot of lean mass and taking drugs, it puts a hell of a lot of pressure on your cardiovascular system. And a lot of people can run into issues. That's why you hear these stories about bodybuilders passing away from strokes and heart attacks. Yeah. Yeah. 
Hey guys, just a reminder that we offer coaching services, which you can find on our website by searching The Bodybuilding Dietitians on Google or via the show notes below. We coach anyone with a health and fitness related goal. It is, uh, it's not good. And I think the other part that kind of puts me off is the, the complexity of it to an extent. Mm-hmm. Like you have all these drugs at your disposal. Which ones do you take mm-hmm. and how much do you take and which ones are going to work the best for you? And with natural bodybuilding, you just got to figure out, okay, I've got to train hard. My training has to be effective and I've got to eat in a calorie surplus, got to get enough protein, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the fundamentals are so much more obvious and the fundamentals still apply, of course, with drug use, but it's those extra little nuances that I think would, would get me over time. Yeah, absolutely. There's a hell of a lot that you need to educate yourself on if you want to do it responsibly. And that's Mm. the thing. Unfortunately, a lot of people do do it very irresponsibly. Yeah, off the cuff. And like even thinking about, okay, am I getting it pharmaceutical grade? Am I getting it from the, this guy who lives at the end of my street Mm. who sells it in from his boot or where are you getting it from? Is your syringe even clean? Like, do you even know how to insert that thing? Yeah. But what about you? Like, would you ever consider it? What is your thoughts around it? Yeah, so I can pretty confidently say that I'm going to be natty for life. I am young. I think that I have the genetic potential and certainly the mindset and the work ethic. I have what it takes to really be at the top one day if I stay persistent, stay consistent, and keep doing what I love each and every day. And I'm well-educated, and I put in a heck of a lot of time and effort and passion into continuing to educate myself every single day and I'm just damn determined to keep climbing that natty ladder man Mm -hmm. and just see what I can truly achieve plus I know that for me compared to you obviously you're a bodybuilder but I am a fitness and bikini athlete Mm. so I feel like there's a little bit of an exception there where if you have the work ethic if you have the genetics if you put your head down for decades upon decades you can achieve some pretty exceptional results Mm. within my categories because they're not looking for anything freaky yeah and i say that now but who knows what ifbb bikini is going to look like (laughs) in 10 years from now (laughs) well like you don't have to gain 10 kilos of muscle exactly it's nothing too extreme and i truly believe that it can be achieved naturally yeah yeah it definitely isn't easy by no means but definitely can be achieved naturally and we've seen it we've seen other natural competitors achieve phenomenal physiques Mm. well at least i have in the female categories especially when we go to icn shows some of these fitness women some of the figure women they are just phenomenal yeah they are just incredible and again they achieve that drug free and that we know of yeah but i honestly the thing is when i see someone and they have an amazing physique the first thing that pops into my mind is never oh drugs they Mm. probably take drugs i always think hard work i never just assume that someone's going into the bathroom and injecting something like i always think that wow this person loves what they do and they've probably been doing this for a good 15 years and god damn good on them like how inspiring like i really look up to these people and i never just assume drugs i'm not even kidding like even if i saw like a mr olympian of course they're enhanced like there's no doubt about that Mm. but even if i saw him i wouldn't be like oh wow like how much do you take yeah I, i think that's very thought process for people outside of the industry like i completely agree i wouldn't see jay cutler in his prime and be like 
oh, he takes drugs because, yeah, it's kind of obvious. And two, like, it's still an incredible amount of work in order to look like that. I think it's very much someone outside of the industry who they just have that really a stereotypical thought process about drugs and that they you literally just take one shot of testosterone and you blow up and you yeah. become Ronnie Coleman overnight. But we know that that's not the case. Yeah, unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation. But as well, I think it's a little bit of a cop-out. And sometimes it does come from a bit of low self-esteem, you know, to look at someone who's done something absolutely tremendous, no matter what route they took to get there. Like you said, it's not easy. It takes decades upon decades of consistent work, especially in bodybuilding. If they're at the top, they've put in the freaking work and they deserve to be there. Yeah. Yeah. But I have so much respect for anyone involved in bodybuilding, no matter if they are enhanced or natural. I'm very confident in what I can achieve during my bodybuilding career. Again, I'm only 23 years old. I'm probably going to be doing this until I'm 50. Like I want to be one of those women who step on a natural stage or maybe even an enhanced stage at that time and hold my own. I'll probably be doing figure by that time, but in my fifties and have like incredible muscle maturity and then stand up against girls who are like maybe in their twenties or their thirties, probably still look like I'm in my thirties and win and beat them. And people will be like, you know, she's 55 years old, (laughs) but that's a thing. Like it's an old man and an old woman's sport. So I freaking love it. I can't wait to like keep going up from bikini to fitness and then figure one day it'll be incredible. Mm. I don't know if I'll ever quite reach women's bodybuilding, (laughs) give it a crack for the lols maybe one day. But I guess the last thing that we should touch on is again, there are just a hell of a lot of caveats to being enhanced yeah, and it's not just all fun and games and oh, you look really good. You're really muscly. You get really lean. Again, it's kind of like what you see on social media for comp prep. Mm-hmm. You see the positives on social media. You see the, the big guys or the ripped girls and you see that they can maybe eat a lot of food compared to the average person. They got a really incredible sex drive, whether that's a good or bad thing. <laughs> and like, yeah, you're super strong but you don't see the negatives. Oh gosh, and something that people probably really do not talk about, obviously neither you or I have experienced this, but we've spoken to others about it, is the psychological impacts of mm. actually taking drugs. It's huge, yeah. it's, it's absolutely huge. Like imagine the dependency, imagine actually trying to come off this stuff because yeah. One, imagine, you feel like you feel like Superman. Yeah, like what well, we can imagine. These people <laughs> probably feel like Superman. Imagine being a natural and then starting to take exogenous testosterone and you feel incredible and your results are like exponential. Like things are happening at a really fast rate. You're putting on literally kilograms upon kilograms onto your squat and your bench and your deadlift every single session. And you're growing like crazy. You're looking amazing. Your metabolic rates through the roof. But then you try to come off that and then those results stop happening. Imagine Mm. the psychological dependence on that. It would be so tough. But also, like, think of, I've spoken to people who talk about the anxiety, the depression involved. It's, uh, it can be a real whirlwind of mental health. Mm. Yeah, the, the rule of, yeah, at the end of the day, you need to think really hard, get someone's opinion who has done it, get, some, get a proper coach who can advise you on what to do and how to do it and whether you should do it in general. And... It's, yeah, it's really tough. Like, I definitely don't think anyone should be doing it under 18, that's for Mm -mm. sure. 
No, I think that, yeah, I think that people should have a good string of years of doing this naturally before they ever even think about going mm. down the enhanced route. Hell, I would even argue that, yeah, even if someone points out that, wow, you have the genetic potential to actually really do well down the enhanced route, but you're really young, you know, you're still like 20 years old man, take advantage of being a natural and then give it a few years, maybe give it a decade and then consider going down that route. Because again, how many 20 year olds do we know that make really good life decisions? Because <laughs> yeah. again, like once you take these drugs, it will change your life. Yeah, forever. It's huge. To, I always say this, but to play devil's advocate, like I don't see it as too different. If you go out and partying every weekend mm-hmm. and you're, drink, you're getting blind drunk, like three to five days a week. Yeah, are people snorting cocaine? Mm. Like we gotta, actually, uh, we're not gonna answer this question, but how different is it to that? Yeah. And maybe as a listener, have a think about that. Yeah, it, that is a really- Or being morbidly obese. Like if you're eating yourself to death, literally, mm-hmm. how different is taking drugs to that? Yeah, I guess everyone's gonna justify it in a different way. But mm. that's really interesting. Cause yeah, the recreational drugs, cause all of these partiers might look at bodybuilders and be like, how could you possibly inject yourself with that? And then you look at them, you're like, how could you possibly snort that man? Like yeah. who's in the right, who's in the wrong? Mm. Ethanol is literally a poison, alcohol, and some people drink it to excess on most days of the week. Mm -hmm. So that's definitely going to give you cirrhosis or fatty liver disease very quickly. Yeah. And I guess something else that we should probably touch on is obviously finances. Like Mm. these things aren't cheap. They are expensive. And also you have to remember that they're not legal either. Well, at least not where we live here in Australia. Like, is it, is it legal in the UK? I, I'm not confident enough to touch on that. Yeah. I know it's different in the UK though. Yeah. There's definitely different regulations around it in the UK compared to Australia or probably a lot of different countries. But I think for the most part, we can probably say that it's, it's illegal. Like you couldn't just go out onto the street and put up a sign and be like steroids sold here, <laughs> 50% off today if you buy double or something like that. But we have to remember that it is a criminal offense for the most part. You probably could have that go onto your criminal record. So with that, that is pretty scary. I know that I'm the kind of person who if I drop a cucumber on the ground, I'll say sorry. So if I start breaking the law, I know that I don't know how I could possibly mm. deal with that. So yeah, it's expensive. It's illegal. Also, like, where do you actually get these things from, you know? It would just kind of feel... I think these are rookie questions that we're asking and then... I know, because clearly we don't know because we've never done it before. Obviously, I am curious. I'm like, even if I wanted to, where the hell would I even get mm. this from? Like, how you would I even source it? I think if, if the listeners are interested, if any of the listeners want to give us some feedback, we would happily... We know people who would love to come on the podcast and discuss uh, PEDs in more depth and their own personal experience with taking them and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So if that's something that interests the listener base, then we could definitely organize that. Yeah, because I'm not gonna lie, I'm super curious. Yeah. Super curious. And I guess the very last thing is just, it does restrict you in a sense. Obviously, things like travel. Yeah. For example, like if you are consuming these illegal drugs and let's say that you wanted to go on a holiday but you're running a cycle, you can't take those on the plane or I definitely do not recommend that you try to smuggle drugs into another country or anything like that. It's literally drug dealing. So yeah, it might restrict you from actually being able to live your life 
Mm. And, you know, actually quality of life as well. Quality of life and go on holidays and things like that. So there's a hell of a lot of caveats. And obviously, just with health, Mm. I know that I really value my health and my femininity. And I want to have a baby one day. And I want to have a baby come out of me like a ray of sunshine. And I want to be a mother. And I could just never selfishly do anything that would put that dream at jeopardy. Yeah. Just to close off this question, this is just our thoughts and opinions and we have nothing against anyone who no, decides again, to go down that route full respect because you do you any everyone can do whatever the heck they want yeah. and again we're relating it to personally i don't see pd use as any different to overusing like other mm-hmm. other forms of drugs like alcohol or as you said like snorting cocaine or whatever mm-hmm. it might be So that's just my opinion. And I think that if people do have issues with it, then they should be treated in the same way. For example, alcoholics, they go through rehab programs. So I think that if someone needs help, then they should be able to get help. Mm, mm, Totally. So what's the next question? Okay, Jack. So this final question for the day, this one says, why does it take you guys hours to work out? (laughs) Yeah, I think... When we've said this in the past, like people uh, ask, do you really mean like three hours in the gym (laughs) or they're they're just very surprised and confused that we spend so long in there. And Mm -hmm. one, like we, we very fortunate to have the luxury to spend that long in there Two, It's very different in prep versus the off season. Mm -hmm. And three, we love the gym. (laughs) Dude, we freaking love the gym. And Honestly, we have had our fair share of years of trying to cram in a leg workout between two lectures and only having 50 minutes and you've got to walk to the gym, you've got to train legs, then you've got to walk back to another lecture, another prac. So Mm. we've been there, done that four and a half years straight. So we definitely haven't lived the luxury of having three hour gym sessions every single day of our lives yeah but it's kind of like our outing of the day like it is we it's kind of our break away from work we we love it and it's time for us to chat and communicate meet Mm -hmm. and chat other people at the gym as well not not to the extreme like we're not sitting down with people and having a full-on conversation Mm -hmm. but we meet other people and stuff like that i love the gym so much i love going there i love looking forward to it and Absolutely. It's really our time. And Mm. again, we are very fortunate in the case that we went through all of those years at uni and we set ourselves up in a position to live our lives in the exact way that we want to. And, you know, to be able to be like, okay, cool. We want to do a few check-ins in the morning, then train for a few hours, come home, eat, take a shower, and then do the rest of our work in the afternoon. We have been able to set up our lives like that. And there's nothing worse than being rushed during a session. Like I like to take my sweet time because I like to perform at my best. Mm. And I'm not gonna lie, sometimes I need five to 10 minutes between sets of Bulgarians to really catch my breath and gather myself and muster myself up to do another set. Yeah, I guess to answer this question in more meticulously, we do take long rest times Mm. because we need to maintain our performance, especially in prep. Like. Sometimes like I am taking five to 10 minutes rest because I'm absolutely flipped and I need just time to collect myself. Mm-hmm. And that's for this applies more to me than Tierra. Often Tierra sessions are slightly shorter than mine, but one, we walk to and from the gym Two, I warm up before the gym and on a leg day that sometimes as long as 20, 25 minutes. Like I've got a trigger ball. I've got to do my dynamic mobility. I've got to do my other mobility. I've got to do some 
well, I don't have to, but I do some foam rolling. I've got to warm up for the big lifts. Like if I'm RDLing 170, that's going to be a slightly warm, longer warm up than RDLing 100. Mm-hmm. So it all takes time. And then I might have some steps to do after the gym, walk home. You might practice some posing. Yeah. Yeah. For us, like we are literally able to treat the gym. When we go to the gym, it's kind of like we're going to work. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, which I absolutely love. And the thing is as well is that you and I have very unique jobs too. We are very social media savvy. Well, I guess someone could argue like you're not on (laughs) social media as much as me. But yeah, social media is a huge part of our careers. So when we're actually in the gym, sometimes we're actually still producing content. We're actually still doing work while we're there. So for example, we might be filming sets and posting that to our Instagram stories. We might be doing informative Q and A's. We're posting TBD posts. I can reply recording to- Recording YouTube videos. Recording YouTube videos. Taking form clips for clients. Yeah, and we can reply to clients and speak to clients while we're at the gym answering questions. Like the level that we're at on social media right now, particularly Instagram, there is a lot of communication going on all the time. Mm. Mm. Which I think a lot of people are like, oh, you surely that's going to be taking away from your workout. But it, it doesn't, to no. be honest. Like, if anything, I, if I had to put my phone away and not use it during my workout, I would probably get a worse session in. Because one, I would be bored in between sets. Mm-hmm. And like, I'm not going to say I'm some hardcore bodybuilder who like needs to put his phone away and just focus on the feel and the sets because I can guess what I can do both. I can multitask. Yeah, exactly. And it makes you feel incredibly productive, doesn't it? So between your sets, if you can be like, okay, cool, I'm going to reply to this text message or reply to this person on Instagram rather than just leaving it all and then getting home to a bunch of messages and then being almost overwhelmed because you're like, Oh my goodness. (laughs) Especially when you're hypo and just need to eat something. Yeah. But God, I freaking love the gym. Honestly, I love our lives. Like being able to go into an environment where everyone else is just getting an endorphin rush. You can put on your headphones. You can listen to your favorite music. You can lift heavy. You get an epic pump. Like you can take some progress photos. It's a nice place to be. And yeah, I would probably spend more than three hours there a day if I didn't get so hungry. (laughs) Yeah. The only thing that would make the gym better is if I could bring the dogs there. That is true. We still need to ask. I actually saw a dog there the yeah, other day. Yeah, too. Mm-hmm. Like I would love it if our, cause I know uh, some gyms do this. If, I mean, I wouldn't probably wouldn't cause it's a bit dangerous, but the dogs can just chill in the gym. Mm-hmm. Like they could wander around. And I know one of our dogs, Boston, he would l- absolutely love getting attention from everybody, but mm-hmm. you don't want a barbell to drop on him or something like that. So. No, absolutely not. But yeah, maybe we'll just take them one day for like a meet and greet. Yeah. Yeah, but obviously, guys, it's not mandatory to spend two and a half, three no, hours in the gym by any means. A one. caveat to that is you don't, don't, the gym isn't there to be rushed through. Yeah, like, enjoy it. I, I, some people have half an hour sessions and like, I'm sorry, but I don't think you're maximizing your progress with mm-hmm. a half an hour session. If you have like six to eight exercises to do and you should be recovering fully in between your sets, Half an hour is not going to cut it. And that means, like, are you warming up and warming down? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm just a bit confused by that. It's a dead giveaway. No, <laughs> like, just might be too harsh, but it's a kind of a giveaway that you're not training hard enough if your sessions are taking 20 to 30 minutes. Yeah. Or unless you're just going in there and doing, like, one or two exercises. Yeah. But that's whenever I sign up with someone new and I'm like, so how much time can you actually spend in the gym? 
And if they are rushed for time, they're like, yeah, honestly, I've got a family and I can only train within my work break. Like I probably only spend 45 minutes in there. I'm only going to give them a specific amount of exercises that they could complete in 45 minutes, get really good bang for their buck. So I'm definitely going to manipulate their program. So they're not doing like six or eight exercises yeah. and then supersetting everything or only taking 30 second rest breaks. Mm. And I'm very honest with my clients. I get a lot of my clients to send me training videos mm. and just to check on their form and stuff like that. And I'll tell them straight up. I'm like, like, you can lift heavier. You have a straight face during these barbell <laughs> RDLs. You did not wince once. I want you to add an extra five kilograms mm. to the bar. And also, how much rest are you taking between your sets? Yeah, I what I do for my... I get a lot of form videos. I ask them to send me a few every single week. And I'll also get them to do AMRAPs. So, mm -hmm. like, as many reps as possible in a set. And if someone isn't training hard enough, and let's say I ask, okay, for your final set, I want you to do an AMRAP. The rep range is eight to 10, but on that AMRAP, wrap, they get 20 reps. <laughs> you know that they're not training hard enough for those yeah. normal sets. Absolutely. Dead giveaways are when people just have an absolutely straight face or they're able to look around <laughs> or someone's on their phone or, you know, their final rep. It looks like they're, well, one, you want all your reps to look the same in terms of range of motion. Mm. By me, it's like- Not in terms of intensity. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of a leg extension or something, or at the end of a squat, they'll just put the bar back and be <laughs> like, huh, all right, done. Move on. <laughs> oh man. So anyway, yeah. You don't have to spend three hours in there, but you do need to train hard. <laughs> yeah, you, you need to make that session count. And if training for a short period is holding you back and preventing you from an effective session, then you need to either accept that you might not make as good a progress or find some time to, mm -hmm. to invest more time into it. Yeah, or if you're just a recreational lifter, don't compare yourself to a bodybuilder who is in prep mm. because it would speak to any bodybuilder who takes us super seriously or like it's literally a huge part of their lives mm. or again like jack and i said it's kind of like going to work yeah so they probably are going to spend quite a lot of time in the gym practicing their posing doing their training warming up doing their cardio it's actually pretty normal some people probably spend even longer because they like eat their meals at the <laughs> gym <laughs> yeah i mean well jim brisbane does have that little cafe so mm-hmm yeah yeah but anyway that's it for the questions we have one more to finish up though one thing that we've learned this week okay jack what did you learn this week so i learned something very useful for comp prep actually i got my fruity blender a few weeks ago i think one or two weeks ago and i've been making ice cream in that and because i'm used to a food processor where you just chuck everything in and it blends itself like it's really easy because it, it's that circular motion and it rumbles everything around, it mixes very well. But with the blender, because it's in a more cylindrical, vertical container, it, it's not quite as good at mixing everything. So like by the end of it, not everything is mixed and you have to add a bit more. I was having to add a bit more water for everything to mix around. And then it wouldn't really be nice cream. It would be kind of like almost a watery, more watery consistency, which isn't good. Kind of like a smoothie. Yeah, more of a smoothie. So what I learned is that it came with this, so I'm like a bit of an idiot for not using it straight away, but it came with that thing that you punch the smoothie, the, the, the ingredients with. There's probably a proper name for it, but... It's like this long black pole. That's the first thing I noticed when yeah. you bought it. I, yeah, anyway prep brain but I was yeah I didn't I started using that and it's a great way of mixing everything around and ensuring everything gets blended up so now I can add less water almost no water give it a big whack with that black thing 
and it'll all mix up and it, the consistency is much better. Is it quite on the level of Naturally Nina's though? Well, I'll have to try hers. Okay, that's true. <laughs> but probably not if she's had more experience. But. Yeah, it's pretty cool. She doesn't actually use ice cubes. I remember reading it through one of her eBooks and she actually uses like frozen cauliflower and mm. frozen zucchini. Yeah, I'm, well, I, I'm very keen to, uh, when I have a few more calories to play with, I'll definitely be incorporating more fruit. And right now it's just literally strawberries and ice mm-hmm. <laughs> and some protein powder. So I'm looking forward to diversifying that. Yeah, but when you're 16 days out, definitely tastes good. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, what did you learn this week? So this week I learned that when a female is on her period and she's retaining fluid, it doesn't have to be all bad. Because <laughs> obviously, you know, females who regularly menstruate, it's You're very... not alluding to yourself, are you? No, I'm not alluding to myself, unfortunately, in this case. Still the same cup size. But <laughs> um, when females regularly menstruate, it's not uncommon to obviously retain a little bit of extra fluid. And a lot of girls do feel a little bit more fluidy in their abdomen, which again, it's very normal. It's not uncommon for your scale weight to go up by anywhere between like half a kilogram, maybe two kilograms while you are menstruating. But one of my clients this past week, she was on her period and she actually retained fluid in her breasts. So she, she said she wasn't retaining fluid anywhere else, but her breasts like doubled in size. Jesus. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, Get some I, upper back pain from that. A little bit, yeah. She said they were very tender. But I don't know. So it's not all bad. Like she said, obviously, it hurt a little bit. But, you know, you could fill out a nice dress and still have a <laughs> tiny little waist. So, hell, I've never actually heard of that before. I've definitely never experienced that before when I've been on my period. So, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting that it doesn't all go to your abdomen. Sometimes it can go to the, uh, the, the boobs. Yeah. <laughs> Well, something very interesting to wrap up. Absolutely, guys. So if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to take a screenshot, post it to your Instagram stories, tag Jack, tag myself, tag the bodybuilding dietitians, and we will catch you next week. See you guys.